Thanks, Dr. Graham. Well, I do want to say it's, it's really been fun just to be here, and I've had an opportunity to get to know a lot of you. I've had, a, I've had more coffee than I probably should have <laughs> this, this academic school year. Uh, it's just been fun to hear your stories and spend time with you, and it's been a privilege to be in classes. So I don't deserve to be here, and I don't deserve to stand up and talk, and, uh, and I mean that, and none of us do. And yet, for whatever reason, God says all of us deserve to because we are sons and daughters. So I've, I've honestly uh, probably received more than you have in being here. I love this place. This is a great school. This is a place, this is a space that I believe is consecrated to the Lord. North Central has a dear place in my heart and the heart of my family, and so I'm glad you're here. And um, shameless plug, nobody asked me to do this. Um, I'm impressed with the graduate program here at North Central. Um, I interact with a lot of schools on the graduate level in a variety of ways, and I'm just impressed with what's going on here. So I'd encourage you to consider and pray about when you, uh, many of you are just excited to graduate and get out of here, I get that, but I'd encourage you to strongly consider uh, furthering your education, pursue it at the graduate level. North Central has a great program. If it's not North Central, it's somewhere, but I'd encourage you to do develop yourself as a lifelong learner. You'll never regret it. So open up your Bible to Luke chapter 15. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It's a passage that most of us are probably familiar with. As you can imagine, we're going to look at this in more of a unique way today. So what I want to talk to you about uh, won't take me long. I'm going to cut my time short. I'll only speak for about 18 minutes, and then we've got about six or seven minutes at the end we're going to devote. That way you can just respond to the Lord and put into practice what you hear today. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Him is Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. In order to understand this parable, we have to look at who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to four groups of people. The text says that there were tax collectors, there were sinners, there were Pharisees, and there were scribes. Pharisees, a a sect in Judaism that primarily originated during the Babylonian captivity. The word Pharisee, the Aramaic word, means separate ones. They are those who came together and said, we need to make sure we pass the baton down to the next generation. It's an admirable cause. Somewhere along the line, they forgot that passing the baton to the next generation has little to do with what is on the outside, more to do with what is on the inside. The Pharisees externalized religion. They were caught up with what you see. They performed for the promise. And whenever you perform for the promise, all you get is Ishmael. Then you have the scribes. The scribes, someone once said that the scribes professionalize religion. I don't remember who said that. If I could remember, I would tell you that language is not original with me. The scribes professionalized religion. So you have people who are in many ways part of the religious elite, and then you have two other groups of people. You have tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors were almost always Jewish men who purchased from the Roman Empire the right to collect taxes, tolls, and I will use the word tariffs. So they were usually Jewish men. They were considered to be anti-country, anti-God. Some thought that they were cursed by God. They were accused of always being greedy, being swindlers. They exploited the poor. They abused the people. They became wealthy by taxing um, society, primarily Jewish people. 
So a tax collector is somebody that you just thought, they're a con artist, all they want to do is get rich. And then you have sinners. That's the fourth group the text says is there. Sinners is not the sinners that we would think of in terms of Romans 3.23. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know we're sinners. This word sinners is unique. For example, it's used in Matthew chapter 1, verse 32, to describe prostitutes. So the sinners would have been loose women, women who exploited themselves to, um, to accomplish financial gain. The word sinners here is also used in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. People who are considered cursed by God because they have physical deformities. So it's not just he's talking to sinners, all of us, who have fallen short of the glory of God. It's he's talking to a group of people that candidly would have also comprised prostitutes and people who had mental, physical, emotional handicaps, deformities. They are in some ways the outcasts of society. So Jesus is talking to Pharisees, scribes, tax collectors, and sinners, and he tells them a parable. Now remember, verses and chapters were not originally inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells them a parable. In your Bible, you have the parable of the lost sheep. Then you have the parable of the lost coin. Then you have the parable of the lost son. But Jesus does not tell them three parables. He tells them a parable. And especially the story of the lost sheep and the story of the lost coin really go hand in hand. For at the end of the, uh, the, the portion where he talks about the lost coin, the scripture says, then he said, and he talks about the lost son. I want to be clear. Jesus is telling them a parable, not necessarily three separate unique ones. And when we read this chapter, we typically think of, oh, Jesus is talking about people who wander away from the Father, and one day, when they die, they can go to heaven. Now, he is talking about that for each one of these um, allegories, if you will. It ends with, I tell you the truth, there is much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. But remember, repent doesn't just mean to stop doing bad things. It means more than that. So Jesus is not just talking about salvation in terms of when you die, will you go to heaven? He's talking about salvation in terms of the kingdom of God um, ruling and reigning in this life as well as the life to come. Sozo would be the word. And so Jesus, talking to people who are both religious and socially elite and tax collectors and sinners, he tells them a story. And it's interesting because this offended the religious scholars and the things Jesus was doing offended the religious scholars because he was talking to tax collectors and sinners. And I want to be clear here. Jesus was accused of moral compromise when he was loving people unconditionally. I want to be clear as well. The grace of God does not tolerate sin. Grace demands more from us than the law ever will. The grace of God does not tolerate, but the grace of God will and does transform. And that's what Jesus knew that the Pharisees and scribes did not. That when there is grace and when there is love, it is not tolerant, it is transformative. And Jesus tells the parable to the Pharisees, scribes, tax collectors, and sinners. The parable of the lost sheep, coin, 
and son. Now we know that we all like sheep have gone astray. Jesus is the good shepherd. When he talks about the sheep, I, I think we can infer that he is talking about people who do not know. Uh, they are currently not a part of the fold. Remember the language, not everybody in Israel is part of Israel. Okay? And then Jesus talks about an inanimate object, the coin. And I want you, I want you to pay close attention. I'm going to cover a lot in 10 minutes. He uses an analogy that of all people, the Pharisees and scribes and tax collectors and sinners would have understood. The tax collectors would have understood the value of a coin. The Pharisees and scribes would have understood the value of the coin. And the sinners comprised of prostitutes would have understood the value of a coin. Jesus talks about what woman, if she loses a coin, will not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search diligently until she finds it. We pick up on Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully or diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Women, and you can read about this and learn about this in the Midrash if you want to know what my sources are. Women had headdresses with 10 coins on them. And what would happen is, is this coin, it was worth about 16 cents in our current economy. So a woman would walk around with a buck 60 on her forehead. And a woman had this headdress with 10 coins. It's fascinating, and you really have to dig deep to find this, but it's fascinating to study the unique hairstyles of women in first century Jerusalem. Oftentimes, some of the women took a, a gum and they formed their hair into the, uh, the shape of the temple. How cute is that, girls? Right? So, and then at other times, some of the girls had this unique horn. It was between 18 and 20 inches long. It would juxtapose out of their forehead. It had these massive long tassels with weights at the bottom to keep the wind from flapping them up. And they literally looked like unicorns. But a woman on her wedding night especially, some of them wore it during the day, but they had a headdress with 10 coins, a buck 60. And here's what's, what's, what you need to know about the coin. The coin was not worth a lot of money, but it was incredibly valuable. And Jesus is talking to Pharisees, scribes, tax collectors, and sinners. I would submit to you this, that maybe Jesus is not just talking about a lost coin to prove you are lost and you need to be found, that Jesus is also trying to convey not only like a sheep have you wandered out of the fold, all of you, but you have also lost something that doesn't seem very valuable to you. But in the grand scheme of things, it has immense value. What do you do when you lose something of immense value? And you don't even know it's missing. The woman had 10 coins on her forehead, and it was so sacred that even a tax collector could not take the coins from the woman to pay taxes. It was against the Jewish law for a tax collector to force a woman to give up those coins. Why? Because on her wedding night, the woman, if she was not a loose woman, for the first time would let her hair down in front of a man. 
Letting your hair down in front of a man was, was an act of, of commitment and love and at times seduction. Now we understand why the religious leaders had such an issue with Jesus when the woman wept over his feet and wiped the tears with her hair. It was as shocking as a woman running around topless in our day. And the religious leaders again in Luke 7 accused Jesus of moral compromise because in their vast library of religious teaching, they had no room for unconditional love. On her wedding night, she would take the headdress off and hand the ten coins to her husband. It was a dowry. It was a symbol, a sign of saying, I have waited my entire life for you. A woman who would not have been educated. A woman who probably was illiterate. A woman who was not allowed to go into synagogue regularly and hear the law of God proclaimed. A woman whose entire future is based on getting married to that man. And if she was lucky, she married a good one. If a woman lost a coin on her wedding night, the man could have looked at her and thought, oh, she's a loose woman. She's ill-equipped. She's ill-prepared. And because divorce was rampant in this day, people treated women like chattel. To lose a coin for a woman meant, I have no future. I have no hope. What will people say about me? My reputation is on the line. To lose 16 cents may not be a big deal to you. But to a woman in first century Jerusalem, it was a big deal. Are you with me? And Jesus, talking to a group of Pharisees, scribes, tax collectors, and sinners. The Pharisees would have understood the value of the coin because to them, if you're missing a coin, you're not committed to your religion. To the scribes, if you're missing a coin, how dare you be so unprofessional and unkept? To the tax collectors, you're missing a coin? How in the world could you be so flippant with money? And to sinners, prostitutes, you're missing a coin. Did your customer last night take it from your headdress? Where were you last night anyway? Jesus is communicating to people, and he is not saying, sinners, understand the lesson from the coin. He's saying, everybody, understand the lesson from the coin. Because I would say that in this room today, there are things of immense value that have been lost. And only you know that they're missing. Or do you even recognize it? Things like hunger for the presence of God. Things like integrity. Things like, when I say yes, it will be a yes. Things like, God, no matter where I go, I'm yours. Things like doing things with excellence. Sexual purity. Our thought life. Our identity. Confidence. To know faithful is he who has called us and he will do it. What has been lost? What we can learn from the woman 
what we can learn from what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, scribes, tax collectors, and sinners is that there is a way to find those things that don't seem very valuable, but they carry immense value. How do you find them? Let's, do, let's look at what she did. Number one, she lit a lamp. And if you could allow me a little leeway, I want to alliterate just a bit. I think, you'll, I think it'll prove, prove my point. She lit a lamp. And the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the worst thing we can do when we want to find our identity, our confidence, relationships, whatever it may be, the worst thing we can do is to look at our feelings, look at our thoughts, and look at our culture. The best thing we can do is to light a lamp, to go to the Word of God, to find out what is missing. Your self-talk, I've said it before, your self-talk is formative, your self-talk is prophetic, and don't believe everything you think, and don't believe everything you feel. We go to the Word of God, and we let what the Word of God has to say echo in our soul. She lit a lamp, and secondly, she swept the floor. At this time, the houses had earthen floors. They were covered in mud. They were covered in dirt, and then they laid straw on top of the dirt. How do you find a coin that's been lost when your entire floor is covered in straw? That's why it says you sweep the floor. You light a lamp, and you sweep the floor. How many of you understand that we are called in the Word of God to set aside everything that so easily entangles? And the sin that so easily besets us and let us run the race with perseverance. And that's the third thing she does. She runs the race. It says she searched carefully. She searched diligently. She did not light a lamp and sweep the floor and say, Hey, where's the coin? Oh, I can't find it. It's not a big deal. You have a picture of a woman who says, on my wedding night, everything is on the line if I don't find the coin. And so she lights a lamp, she sweeps the floor, and she is looking frantic, diligent, carefully all over the place just to find a coin that's worth 16 cents. Not a lot of money to you, but to her, it was worth the world. Many of us search once. But there are things in the kingdom that you only find when you search diligently. And if I could give you a gift today in this chapel, it would be the gift of searching diligently. For God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we are living in an hour where the eyes of God will overlook the most educated, even though education's important. The eyes of God will overlook the most talented, even though doing things with excellence honors God. The eyes of God will land on somebody whose heart is fully committed to him. Fully committed. That means you don't have nine coins. You have ten. So I want to ask you today, what is missing? And the way you find it is you light a lamp, you carve out time, and you search. So I want to give you an opportunity to ask this one question. God, is there anything missing in my life? It's not self-introspection. It's what we do. As we prepare to meet our bridegroom. Is anything missing? I'm going to ask everybody to stand. 
We have time. I told you we'd have eight minutes. We have seven. I went 60 seconds longer. And this is where the rubber meets the road. You have an opportunity to be honest before God and to find out what's missing. So I want to ask, what's missing? Is your confidence in God missing? Is your identity missing? Is the peace of God missing? Is the joy of God missing? Is your commitment missing? Do you need God to help you find what has been lost? Did you have something when you came to campus last fall and now it's missing? I believe that God will help you find it if you'll search diligently. So they're going to lead us in worship. want to give you time. I'm going to ask that nobody leave unless you have to. We've got six minutes before chapel's over. And I'm going to ask you to sweep your house and start looking. And let God come alongside you. And I pray that you'll find whatever's missing today. In Jesus' name. If you need to slip out of your seat, if something's missing and you say, God is speaking to my heart, today I want to find it. I want you to come. I'm going to invite you to come forward today. I normally don't always do this. Something's missing and today I'm going to find it. I want you to come. I want you to do what the woman did. You light a lamp, you sweep the floor and you search. You guys go ahead. You can begin to, begin to sing, just ignore me. You come if something's missing. Let's let God take you by the hand and find it. Five minutes can do a lot. Jesus.